Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick Jonkowski. I am the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church, and I am so excited that you guys have come out to join us today. We are concluding a series that we've been in over the last few weeks called We Are the Church, so I'm excited to be able to share with you today. But as I do so, I want to tell you today about um, a memory that I have of a pastor at a Bible college I used to go to back in Arvada, Colorado, a suburb of Denver in the late 90s. Yes, I know I am getting older. (laughs) And Pastor Dan was his name, and Pastor Dan taught the evangelism class at Rocky Mountain Bible Institute. And I remember Pastor Dan for a couple of reasons. The first reason that I remember Pastor Dan is Pastor Dan was a short man. He was kind of a small man in stature. He wasn't a big guy. But where he was small in his body, he was also kind of small in voice. In fact, when you would sit in Pastor Dan's evangelism class, one of two things would inevitably happen. You would either be put to sleep because of the kind of melodic tone of his voice, or you had to almost crane your neck towards him to hear what he had to say. But one of the other things that I remember about Pastor Dan that makes me laugh still to this day, he would routinely say, with as much like gusto as his gentle demeanor could muster, he would say, that is the bastardization of the word, brother. And he would say that about any Christian thought or ideology that he felt was heretical. Now, my classmates and I kind of adopted that phrase as our anthem for the year. And we would try to mimic Pastor Dan as much as we could, his kind of tender demeanor, and we would repeat that phrase for anything and everything that we came across that year. So somebody would be like, hey, man, you're eating yogurt today. And somebody else would chime in, that's the bastardization of the word, brother. (laughs) Or like, it would be snowing outside. Hey, it's snowing outside. That's the bastardization of the word, brother. So like, I mean, we would just have a blast with it, but I think you get the idea. But where Pastor Dan was a lamb in the classroom, he was a lion when it came to street evangelism. Now, every week, Pastor Dan would venture out into the heart of downtown Denver. If it was baseball season, he'd go post up outside of Coors Field, and Pastor Dan would bring with him a megaphone. And one of the best things about this is he would actually also bring a soapbox. You've heard of standing on your soapbox? Pastor Dan would bring a soapbox because he was so short, he had to stand on something, right? And then he would bring these two A-frame signs and sit them down in front of him, and on each side of these signs, he had scripture verses. And he would use his megaphone, and he would open-air preach to the masses on the street corner. And he was kind of like a werewolf in that sense. He would transform from this very meek and mild kind of Bible professor to somebody who was super energetic and very outgoing when it came to street evangelism. Now, I remember well my first trip with Pastor Dan down to Denver on one of his proselytizing missions. I remember it because I stood in almost silent horror as I watched what was unfolding before me. 
Pastor Dan got up on his soapbox, raised the megaphone to his lips, and began yelling at people as they were passing by. He would say, you're going to hell, you're a sinner, you're lost, repent today or burn forever. And I sat there just watching this scene unfold in front of me. I'm sitting there and I'm watching Pastor Dan, and then I'm paying attention to the people who are walking by. And the reaction of these people was amazing. There were some people who would walk by and they just kind of like would put their head down and just kind of try to ignore the situation. There were others who would kind of laugh, you know, kind of to themselves as they walked by. And there were a few who would actually hurl insults back at Pastor Dan. I think one gentleman in particular actually turned around and threw something at him. But Pastor Dan continued to preach. And what was amazing is that in all the two hours that he was down there speaking on his megaphone, not one person repented. Not one person gave their heart to Jesus. In two hours of street preaching, not one person stopped to ask a question about what he was saying. I remember later, my classmates and I asked Pastor Dan about the fruits of his efforts, or really kind of the lack thereof, right? And I remember what Pastor Dan said. In his best Pastor Dan voice, he said, well, you never know what seeds you're planting in the hearts of those who are listening. And I heard that and I thought, you know, I can't argue with your logic, Pastor Dan, because you're right. I don't know what seeds that are being planted in the hearts of the individuals that are down there. But I also couldn't help but wonder what damage was being done. How many stereotypes about Christians and Christianity were being reinforced in that moment? And I left that experience with two very important thoughts in mind. First, the evangelism class at Rocky Mountain Bible Institute would have been a lot more exciting if Pastor Dan had used a megaphone, <laughs> period. But then I thought that if Pastor Dan's form of evangelism was what it meant to share Christ with others, I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And it was that experience and a lot of other kind of cringy Christian evangelistic experiences that caused me to have a very tenuous relationship with my faith and then sharing that with others. That is something that I still struggle with this today. And it's not because I don't love Jesus. It's not because I don't want my friends and my family to know the love of Christ. I do with all my heart. But I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be Pastor Dan and share the gospel in a way that causes people to recoil rather than repent. And so if I'm honest with you, Mosaic Church, this morning, I struggle sometimes with sharing my faith with others. And I wonder if there are those in this room who might be able to relate with that experience. I wonder if we went around this room and gave everybody a microphone, gave the opportunity to share, I'm sure there would be other stories that would come forward about evangelistic experiences gone wrong, right? Like the time when I was waiting tables, and a good meaning, I'm sure, brother or sister in Christ, left a track, one of those little Christian books that talks about salvation, on the table as my tip and nothing else. Yuck, man. 
And I'm sure if we were to share some of those stories, what would begin to surface are some of the reasons that we struggle with talking about our faith with others. I think for a lot of people, one of the underlying factors when it comes to sharing our faith is fear. Maybe you're like me, and maybe you've had a bad evangelistic experience and you just don't want to become, you fear becoming that thing that you, is repulsive to you. Think about why televangelists are so meme-worthy, right? Like, we just can't stand it because we don't want to be like that. We've had these negative experiences, and so maybe that's something that stirs fear in you. For others in this room, maybe that fear manifests itself in a way that you're afraid or fearful to talk about Jesus because you're afraid what people might think of you. What if I talk about Jesus and people label me as a Jesus freak? Maybe there's fear of not knowing what to say. That's a common one. What if I start talking to this person about Jesus and they ask me a question and I don't know how to respond back to them? It's real. What if when I'm sharing about Christ, they reject me and I lose not only that person as an acquaintance, but as a friend, they reject the message that I share with them. And another common one that I run into in talking with other believers when it comes to fear and evangelism is this idea of our own weaknesses, our own securities, and our own frailties. Because what if I share and people see the brokenness in my own life? Well, they really want Christ. I think whatever the reason for not uh, stepping up and sharing using personal evangelism in our lives and talking about Christ, I think a lot of us would say that we do so and tend to lean more towards we want to share Christ in love and in action as opposed to actually speaking about Jesus. It's that idea that I would rather tell you or show you than tell you. I would rather tell you Show you, let me get that right, I'd rather show you than tell you about Jesus. And most often, people who uh, ascribe to that kind of ideal, this trendy idea that I can show Christ through my actions and through my deeds, you'll hear them oftentimes quote St. Francis of Assisi, who famously said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. It sounds so idyllic, right? Like it's so non-threatening. Who's going to get mad at me if I'm just trying to love them in word and deed and in, in action? But then when is actually sharing the gospel necessary? If, as the quote alludes, is talking about Christ really just a last-ditch effort, can we as followers of Jesus really divorce our actions from preaching about Christ when it comes to biblical evangelism. And the truth is that the Bible has a lot to say about evangelism. I think God must have known that we as Christ followers would struggle between going full-on Pastor Dan and then only speaking about Christ as a last resort. And so we're going to look today at what God has to say about this very important issue. And so if you have your Bibles, if you're at home, here or watching online, you can open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. If you've got the Bible app, you can certainly feel free to use that as well. 
And as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's happening in these verses. In Romans chapter 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul is actually writing about the salvation of Israel and how God has broadened that plan to not only include the Israelites, but also to include a group of people called the Gentiles or non-Jews. And so for every one of us in this room who's not Jewish today, we should be very excited about that because that means we have salvation. But according to Paul in Romans, there's a fly in the ointment. Israel, Paul's own people, God's chosen people, had largely rejected Jesus as the Messiah. You see, the Israelites were stuck in centuries of tradition that told them They had to earn their way to God. They had to earn their salvation by following religious rule and tradition. And what the Israelites had failed to realize was that they could never be good enough to earn their way to God. Was that it was only through Christ alone and faith in Jesus that they could achieve salvation. And in chapter 10, in verse 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Amen. And so Paul gets done laying out the simplicity of the gospel message, the simplicity of salvation for both Jew and Gentile alike. And then he goes on to ask a series of rhetorical questions that gets directly to the heart of the question we asked earlier, is evangelism necessary in the life of the believer? So let's look at what the Apostle Paul says starting in verse 14 through 15. He says, But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the Scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Now, as we read this, it may be tempting to kind of just skim through these short two little verses. But I would encourage you and tell you this morning that if we did that, we would be making a mistake because there's some incredible information and truths on our salvation as well as the role of evangelism in the life of the church as well as the life of the believer. You see, Paul is laying out in these two verses in 14 and 15 the normative conditions. In other words, the normal ways or the normal steps by which a person comes to faith in in Jesus. And this is vital in understanding salvation because it's vital in understanding how each of you came to faith in Christ. But it's also vital to understand how our friends, how our family members, how our co-workers, our colleagues, the unreached people groups of the world are also saved as well. Paul is essentially pulling back the curtain on salvation and giving us an insider's look 
to what the process of salvation looks like. And it's stated in Romans 10, unlike anywhere else in the entirety of Scripture. So let's look short quickly here at those conditions that were in place for Israel and that it need to be in place for whenever anybody comes into a saving faith of Jesus. Except we're going to do something different. We're going to look at them in reverse order. We're actually going to look at them this morning in the order in which they occur as opposed to the way which Paul lays them out in the Scripture. So let's look at what he says here. Starting in verse 14, he says, First, somebody must be sent. And then he says, to that person who is sent, they need to proclaim the good, the, good, the good news. And for the good news to be proclaimed, someone needs to hear it. And then once that good news is heard, it needs to be believed. And once it is believed, that's still not enough. That person who hears it and believes it needs to call on the name of God. So we have five steps that Paul outlines in the process of salvation. He says, sending... Proclaiming, hearing, believing, and calling on the name of God. And that is all happens here in verses 14 and 15. But then if you jump down to verse 17, Paul actually is going to repeat three of the five steps, but with one of the steps, the most important to this conversation on evangelism, Paul is going to give us some detail on what it means. He gets more explicit with his definition. And he says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. So you have again hearing and believing and proclaiming, but it's here that Paul actually gives definition to this idea of proclaiming. He gives a definition to what we are supposed to be proclaiming. He says it is the good news of Christ. And that good news that he's talking about is the gospel that Paul has been preaching throughout the entirety of the book of Romans. It's that same verse that Paul we read earlier in Romans 10 where he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So what Paul is saying here is that when we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that is what we are need to share, that is what people need to hear in order to believe and call on the name of God. We need to proclaim, we need to speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so people can hear and believe and have their lives transformed. So let's go back then now to our original question. When is personal evangelism necessary? Well, according to Paul in Romans chapter 10, it is a non-negotiable ingredient in the recipe of salvation. Let me ask you, you can't make chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips, can you? You can't. And what Paul is saying here is that a person cannot come to salvation in Christ without hearing the Word of God proclaimed to them in normal circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that God can't work other ways, right? God can make donkeys talk. He can make angels sing, rocks sing. And if that's how He wants somebody to come to faith, He can do that. But God is saying, and Paul is saying here in Romans, that the normal process by which someone comes to faith in Christ is through the proclamation, the speaking out of God's Word. And so we can say then that God wants every believer 
All of us in here who call on Jesus, who call on the name of the Lord, that say we are followers of Christ, God wants every believer to proclaim the gospel so that those who are far from him can hear, believe, and be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, it's not only interesting what Paul says, but it's also interesting what he doesn't say. Because nowhere in the text of Romans chapter 10 and 14 and 15 does Paul list acts of service, acts of love, or acts of compassion as part of the process by which somebody comes into a saving faith with Christ. Paul doesn't say, how will they believe if you don't feed them when they're hungry? Nor does he say, how will they call on the name of the Lord if you don't visit them when they're grieving and brokenhearted? Now, before you get out your text messages and start emailing Jason that I'm up here preaching heresy, let me just tell you something. That's not, this is not bastardization of the word, brother. What, what, what I'm saying is that when it comes to acts of service, Paul does not list those in the process by which people come to salvation. I believe with all my heart that loving others through our actions and through our deeds is vital. It's part of our Christian ethic, and we should strive in every circumstance to share the love of Christ in word and in deed so that people may know the love of Jesus, so that people may see that love to the glory of God. There is a reason for that throughout the entirety of Scripture. We see evidence for that in the entire Bible, and especially the New Testament. But here's the challenge, and here's the issue. When we choose to evangelize through word only or through deed only, more, action, more often than not, we are choosing to neglect God's personal call on evangelism in our lives. When we choose to love others in action only, we are neglecting God's call to proclaim the gospel because it's only half the gospel. It's basically giving somebody the what without telling them the why. It's essentially showing someone a coin from a buried treasure and saying, hey, Robin, I want you to have this buried treasure, but I'm not going to tell you how to find it. See this? Isn't this beautiful? It's beautiful, right? But I can't tell you how to find it. It's true when we say that love acts, but it's also true that love speaks. Love does act but love must also speak. God wants every believer to proclaim the gospel so that those who are far from him can hear, believe, and be transformed by the good news of the gospel. At the end of that verse 15, Paul concludes by quoting a verse from the book of Isaiah. And he says this, he says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning, if I can, for just a moment. I have a really hard time wrapping my mind around this verse because I absolutely find nothing beautiful about feet. (laughs) Feet gross me out, period. I mean, if we look at this picture that they're going to throw up here in just a second, look at those things. I mean, those aren't even dirty feet and they're ugly. I mean, they are smelly, and to me, like, feet just look weird, like they're essentially long hands with short fingers, like it just, 
feet gross me out, man. And, and I love my wife, and just a glimpse into our marriage, she doesn't get foot rubs. I'm sorry. Like, I'm like, ugh. No, nothing about her feet, just feet in general are gross, man. Um, but I think that's the point that Paul is driving at here in this uh, portion of Scripture, that when it comes to evangelism, we are by no means perfect vessels. God, in His infinite wisdom, could have chosen a thousand different ways for the message of salvation to go forward. But I want you to catch this, church. God chose to partner with you. God chose to partner with humanity to bring forth the good news of the Gospel in all our brokenness, in all our frailty. God said, I choose them. I will partner with them to send forth the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that when it comes to our lives, much like feet, we sometimes have warts. Our lives aren't always pretty to look at. But what God is saying, and what I think Paul is saying in this verse, is that in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, in the eyes of God, those who carry forth that message, those who proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that is beautiful in the sight of God. And not only is it beautiful in the sight of God, think about the person who hears it, who believes it, who calls on the name of Christ, how beautiful that must be to them. I think about my own life. I think about the man who told me about Jesus. And you know what I remember about that man? It's not his shortcomings. It's not his failures. It's not that he could answer every question that I had about God. It was that that man loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. That my life might be transformed. That I might hear and believe and know the love of Christ in my life. And that is beautiful. And that is why God wants us to proclaim the gospel so that those that are far from here can hear it. Love must speak, warts and all, man. Love must speak. And so I know it's one thing to hear a message like this today, right? And understand it in our head. But the difference between understanding it here and understanding it here is often greater than the six inches that separate the two, right? It's one thing to say, I understand that God wants me to share the, my faith with others, but it's something else entirely to do that. And I was actually talking with our amazing growth groups leader this week, Jess Jeer, and Jess was actually telling me a story about a friend of hers who was frustrated by the fear that was holding her back from sharing the good news with her family and friends. And Jess said something really profound to her friend that I think will be beneficial for us today. She told her friend, if you decided that you wanted to run a marathon, you couldn't just go out and do that, could you? I couldn't. I don't know many people who could, but Jess said you have to practice first. You have to learn to run one mile before you can run five. You have to learn to run five miles before you can run 13. And the same is true when it comes to evangelism. We have to practice our testimony. We have to practice sharing our faith so that we can overcome our fears and insecurities when it comes to telling others about Jesus. 
And I can think of no better place to start when it comes to practicing than in prayer. If you look at the Apostle Paul as our example, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says this at the very beginning. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is that the people of Israel would be saved. Paul is deeply burdened by people who are far from him. He is longing for the people of Israel to know the love of Christ the way he knows the love of Christ. So much so that a chapter earlier in Romans 9, Paul makes an amazing statement. He says that I would be willing to trade my own salvation so that my people in Israel could be saved. I'd be willing to sacrifice my salvation if it meant the people of Israel could be saved. It's an incredibly selfless statement. And so I have to ask you, church, because this was the question that Jesus asked me this week, so you don't get off the hook. Are your family and friends, are the people that you know burdening your heart the same way Paul's heart was burdened for the people of Israel? Does your heart long for people who don't know Jesus to know Him? Since we're being honest, if that's not you, that's okay. I had to wrestle with that question this week, and I had to confess that I'm not there yet either. But one of the easiest ways that we can start to get out on the road and start running when it comes to practicing our evangelism is through prayer. And so I want to invite you this week to join me in a simple prayer. And the prayer goes like this. Jesus, break my heart for people who are far from you. Jesus, break my heart for people who are far from you. And then give me the, the courage to overcome my fears and insecurities. I believe that in Scripture it says, we read earlier that the feet of those who proclaim the gospel are beautiful, and I believe so too are the hearts who desire to share the gospel in the sight of our God. And I believe that if we ask God, God will be faithful to meet us, to give us that courage, to begin to break our hearts for our family and friends that don't know Jesus, so that we carry that same burden that the Apostle Paul carried. The other thing I want to encourage you to do aside from that prayer, is to begin practicing your testimony. How many people have ever done telephone sales in this room? Any telesales? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Us cubicle jockeys, I know that. Yep. I used to be in telephone sales when I was in Colorado. I worked for a company that was a Christian publisher, and we literally make hundreds of phone calls, hundreds of phone calls a day, so I mean 500 phone calls a week to churches all across the country trying to sell Vacation Bible School products. And one of my least favorite things about this job is that for part of my training, they would actually record my phone calls, and then I would have to go back and listen to them. I hated it. I hated listening to my stupid voice on that recording over and over and over again. But here's the truth, church, is that that opportunity, listening to myself, was invaluable. It helped me grow as a salesperson because I began to see what obstacles were getting in my way, what objections were stumping me. And then I was able to begin to practice with my coworkers so that I got better and I got better. 
And in the same way, we need to be able to practice our testimony. And one of the best ways that we can do that is write it out. We can write out our testimony. You say, oh, Nick, that's weird. I, I don't want to do that. Like, what's that? Like, why would I do that? I, I'm going to sound for, formulaic or like systematic. Like, hi, my name is Nick. I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus too? <laughs> like, it, like, it just doesn't work, right? Like, there's nothing exciting about that. That's not what I'm saying. We don't write it out so we're systematic or formulaic in our evangelism. We write it out so that we are prepared to speak the good news. Because 1 Peter 3.15 says this, that always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. As a side note, I think Pastor Dan missed that last portion of the Scripture, gentleness and respect, but that's a sermon for another time. Um, but as you start to think about writing through, there's a couple questions that you can begin to think through to begin to write out your testimony. And the first question is this, what was my life like before I met Jesus? What were you like before you met the risen King? What things in this life gave you identity? What things in this life gave you a sense of purpose? And then how did those things maybe let you down? So the first question is, what is my life? What was my life like before Christ? The second question is, think about what is your life like or how did you come to Christ? What was your story? Who told you about Jesus? What were some of the struggles that you had to wrestle to to surrender your heart to the Lord? Make note of those things. And then finally, what is your life like after knowing Christ? How is your attitude? How is your perspective? How has your life been changed by the power of Jesus Christ? And as you think through those three questions, what was my life like before Jesus? How did I come to know Christ? What has my life been like after Jesus? We can begin to write out our testimony. And you'd write it out just like a story that you were telling somebody else. And you don't want it to be an hour long. You don't want it to be a Jason sermon, right? Like, <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Um, you don't want it to be an hour long. You want it to be like three to five minutes in length, right? It's, it's, a, it's just a conversation. It's not a monologue. And then sit down and start to practice that. It may be weird, but sit down and practice in front of a mirror. Or grab a brother or sister here at Mosaic Church or somebody that you know that's in the faith and ask them to listen. If you don't know somebody, grab Jason or I. We would be more than happy to listen. Grab one of our amazing TLs here, one of our leaders here at Mosaic Church. They would be more than happy to listen. Guys, sharing the gospel does not need to be like my experience with Pastor Dan. You don't need to get a megaphone. You don't need to get a soapbox. Most of you are taller than Pastor Dan. You don't need A-frame signs. But we also can't be silent. When we start to practice through prayer, when we start to ask Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours, when we start to practice our testimony, we begin to position ourselves to be in a place where we can partner with God. Because the truth is that God wants every believer, all of us that follow Christ, to proclaim the gospel so that those that are far from Him may hear 
believe and be transformed by the good news of Jesus. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.